Hey, Jim, you got a sample of one of those uh, not to ask questions for your teenager? Um, not to ask questions. What time did you go to bed last night? <laughs> what? That's what he asked the whole time. And now. Aye, <laughs> I'm the captain now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sitting off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for listening, and I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to episode 142 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. Oh, fantastic. I got my two lovely ladies here in the studio with me right now. I yes. got Christine, and I got a little Clover Bear. Clover, the podcasting puppy. She's is. like the podcast mascot, really. She is, and she's bumping my microphone right now and crawling around on my lap and digging around on the couch so who knows what kind of background noises we're gonna get today what is she looking for now now she's like oh thank you clover she's like shaking her collar now she's looking at these she's looking at the padres poster she's like yeah what's up guys what's up i hope there's not like a bug back there or like a something behind the couch she's looking for no she's smelling around she smells something she's just trying to figure out what it is it's the smelly boys in the house oh gosh kids let me tell you kids can be uh messy i don't know what it's about kids they always seem to make messes like they leave like little piles of destruction like everywhere they go. Well, I mean, that is very true for the two youngest. And most recently, they're just choosing not to shower, which is gross, gross, gross. gross. City. You know, can I tell you a little secret to everybody right now is that when I was younger. <laughs> First of all, I would have never dated you in high school because you were a smelly cat. Uh, well, yeah. I like rarely took showers, like showering like once a week. I kid you not. That's I, so nasty. And I play sports too. Oh, you're so gross. <laughs> I guess I was a stinky kid. I don't know. Uh, you guess? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Like that's nasty. So yeah, well, uh, thankfully you shower now. Oh, like overkill. You're a reformed, you know, stinker. I think I have to like make up for all the time I missed, you know, when I was, wasn't showering as often. Yeah, absolutely. But I, ugh, I can't handle when when guys don't shower regularly it's just stink so how where have you been you've been gone all day you know you just got back i literally just got back i drove in and i was like texting you like hey we need to podcast as soon as i get home we're gonna need to hop on because tomorrow starts the new routine of me having to go into the office on mondays and we have an early morning meeting and so I've been on the road all weekend. I had a meeting yesterday with a client up in Fullerton, which is like, I don't know, like 120 miles away. And then it's today, like the LA, LA area kind of, right? Yeah, Orange County-ish area. And then today I had um, an engagement party for another client in Placentia, which is right by Anaheim, which funny enough, it's the best friend of the bride that I met with yesterday. And that's how I actually got the referral is... It was the um, the bride that I met with yesterday contracted with me first just for month of day of coordination and was talking up about how much she loved me to her best friend slash maid of honor for her wedding who ended up getting engaged and hiring me for their destination wedding in, wait for it, 
Mykonos, Greece. Check that out in Greece. I know. I'm so Are excited. Are you actually still going to go there? I believe so. After today, we were talking about it, and they really, really want me to go with them. So it kind of would be impossible for you to do their wedding planning if you weren't there. Well, right? I mean, I do a lot of it from here, and I do like I've been coordinating with the vendors over in Greece and working with like photographers and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm pretty sure they're going to take me. I'm look, pretty sure. Look at that. Do I? Do you need me to come too? Am I um, on the guest list? I mean, if you really want to, you could be my assistant. But I assistant do have, to the assistant. Yeah, it's like a what was it? Dwight Schrute, like assistant to the regional manager, assistant, assistant assi- to the assistant regional manager. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Goes down the chain like that. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. So today you took care of that. That was amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. So we had their engagement party. It was at a tasting room for a brewery and had a taco lady come out for like a taco cater. And then I took um, a bunch of desserts from one of my favorite bakeries up there, did a little dessert table, did some flowers, you know, kept it pretty simple, but they had like a good 65, 70 people there. For just an engagement party? It yeah. Like a lot, I would it, think, was, right? it was a pretty good group, but that's like everybody that's getting invited to the wedding because they're only going to have like 50 to 70 guests. And so it's like kicking it all off, um, celebrating their engagement. And then I gave everybody, I made these really beautiful flyers that has like all the information about the accommodations, their website, everything to let everybody know how to start planning. Because basically for this wedding, not only am I planning their wedding, but I'm helping to basically outline the travel for all of these 50 plus guests. Like so you the, are the travel agent for them too? Kind of. I mean, I had to negotiate the room rates and get a website set up with a hotel for their guests to directly register. And then I've been having to do research on like what's the most effective way to travel because Mykonos is an island. It's one of the Greek isles. And so you can fly directly there, but most people fly into Athens and then take a ferry. Right. How far is it away from uh, Athens? Like, is it, can you see it from the mainland or? No, I've heard that it's like two to three hours on a ferry boat each way. Gosh. But you can drive onto the ferry boat and like take your car with you. But you can also fly directly from LAX to Mykonos. There's just like a stop in between. Like some people stop in like Switzerland or something, change planes and then go over to Mykonos. So it's one of the bigger, more populous types of the islands, just like Santorini is the other one that's really popular. Now, uh, speaking of cars, do they drive on the wrong side of the road or right side of the road there? Well, I don't know. That is a great question. I don't really well, have any idea. I know idea. in England, it's on the opposite side. So is in Japan. And maybe China, too, I guess. I, I don't know. But, but whose is the wrong side if maybe we drive on the wrong side? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, cars and things like that, you know, I had a uh, – I am uh, – God, I can't be actually doing this. I do, first of all, we're going to preface this by saying it was totally your decision, 100%. Go I know, ahead. Although people think it's your decision, it really was my decision. Why do people think it was my decision? Be, well, obviously, because it's my favorite baby in the entire world. I'm talking about the sports car. You're letting you know? people talk trash about me? No, the car, babe. So I have made the decision – I think it's time. I think it's, yeah, I think it is time now for me to officially put the Z up for sale. Now, what triggered this? Because it was like out of the blue. Well, I think what happened was I was driving it and I'm thinking like, I got two cars. I got the Z and I got the new truck. The truck's fairly new still and 
you know, we do, do use it to haul around for wedding stuff and haul kids around and, you know, stuff like that. So I do use it quite a bit for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm driving the seat back and forth to work and I'm thinking like, you know what? Why do I need two cars? You know, like, I know it sounds fun and all, but I got to pay registration on both. I got to pay insurance on both. I got to fill up gas in both. Oil changes on both. Um, I'm like, gosh, you know what? I've had this car for like five years now. I've had some fun with it. I've basically now, like, I just drive it to work. It's all I use it for. I don't. Mm-hmm. You it's know, your commuter car. Yeah, that's what it's kind of fell into this commuter car category to where anybody who has a regular commuter car, you know that your commuter car is just like the basic whatever. It's just like. Gets right, but most back. of them have like four seats. So like if you needed to like throw the kids in there and just run them around town, it's cheap enough to do that. But yours is you plus one. Right. So and you, it's like low to the ground and hard to get out of. Right. So <laughs> that's the other thing, too. Uh, finding a place to change the oil in the car is kind of tricky because most places don't want to touch it because it's so low to the ground. They're like, well, we can't get under that or we can't do our little slider thing to do the drive through oil change places. They won't even touch it. So finding a place to change the oil is kind of tricky. And then also, you know, I mean, uh, it runs fine. I spent a lot of money fixing it, which is why I thought maybe keeping it like tires, brakes, a new clutch, you know, so on and so forth, all this money. But right now, with the way those things are selling, like on the used market, it's crazy to think that I actually might make money selling it. Well, so that's, that's really where this whole thing started was you sent me a text message of the price tag for the Newsy. Oh, and yeah. then all of a sudden you saw dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. So how much is the new Z going for right now? Okay. So the new Z, which is hitting the showroom floors like right now, like as we speak, they are the Nissan dealers are getting a few shipments in to their dealerships. But because it is a very rare car, and there's not a lot of them, and it's a very hot uh, commodity, uh, the re- retail price of the car window sticker is about $50,000. What? I thought you said like $73,000. No, hear me out here. 50, about $50,000 for, for the Z is what the window sticker is, right? But the dealerships, because they know they're exclusive and people want these, they are charging an additional $73,000 over the $50,000. You're looking at close to $130,000. No, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's going to be, no, it's going to be 73,000 total. It's not going to be 130. They, I've already seen on Instagram. I've already seen people taking uh, screenshots and shots of the dealerships that have these on display. That's Show, like more than a Ferrari. Showing the windows. No, Ferraris are more than that, I think. Uh, showing the window stickers. It's of more these than a things. Corvette. Uh, yeah, but the Corvettes are doing the same thing too. If you get a Corvette for like sixty grand, the dealership is still jacking up another fifty. What? What? It's like, it's like saying, okay, by putting it on the lot and going through the hour that it takes to sell it, we're going to charge fifty thousand. Seventy three thousand, actually, in this case of the Z. That's so crazy. It's so yeah, so one hundred thirty thousand dollars will get you into the get you into a new Z. And uh, I'm thinking, like, you know what? Being that my car, they don't make it anymore. And being that I've already used it for quite a bit, I'm thinking like maybe that's maybe now is the time to sell it. You know, I have the new truck. Um, you yeah, know. you're just trying to make a quick buck. You're hey, like, if I can make some money on it, why not? You know, <laughs> I know. And then you're gonna be like, an, a year down the line, like, oh, I really miss my sports car. I want to save you know, up for a Lamborghini. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe. But it's funny. The, I had a, te- a guy come over today to check the car out. So he comes over, you know, and uh, we talk about the car and stuff. And he wanted to like do. He had brought over 
one of those OBD, what is he called? The uh, scanners for scanner tools to check the uh, check engine light code uh-huh. thing. So he brings it over. Can I run this in the car? I said, yeah, I guess. You know, I, mean, I just had the spark plugs changed. And I just worked on it. It should be fine. Mm-hmm. So he checked it out. No codes, of course. That's good. Mm-hmm. And then he's looking over the thing and all this stuff. And um, so I let him take it for a test drive. But I drove it out of the driveway. I drove it down to the street. I drove it away from the neighborhood and got out let him get in. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to like have him try to back it out and hit my truck or something. Right. <laughs> so I got it out there. And then he said he's driven sticks before, but he's like just learned how to drive a stick. Wow. So that got me a little nervous when he said that. I was like, okay. So getting it going in the car for him was a little amateurish. You know, he was kind of like um, – Jerking the jerking the clutch a lot. Okay, do you, you know? think he was really gonna buy the car? Or do you think he's just practicing how to drive stick? Um, no, I think he was serious about it because you'd say you looked at a few other um, Z's for sale. He said mine was one of the nicer ones he's ever looked at for this price. Okay. And then he said um, he really liked it and it's very clean. He kept a really good shape of it. I said, yeah, you know, for the most part I did, but lately not so much. But when he had it in the garage at the other house, I kept it really clean. I used to wax the thing all the time. So um, I know, but he was a little rough on it, getting it going because he's you know, it's a new car, he's not used to driving it and stuff, and uh, it's kind of weird sitting in the passenger seat and have somebody else drive your car. Yeah, I told him like, like I love this car, like I really don't want to sell it, but I kind of like should sell it because it's kind of like I kind of you know I, I'm one of those positions where I it's probably best to sell. It's like a wise decision, which I'm not very good at, you know. <laughs> Making smart decisions like this, like smart financial decisions. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm kind of going with my like uh, intuition, so to speak, on, on the sale. All right. Well, we're putting this down into like audio history, audio file that I'm going to come back to this. Whose idea is it to sell the Z? It was my idea, babe. Yes. It was my idea. Is it, did I influence it at all? No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. And I even said to you, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. If you're going to put it up, you have to do the work for it. You have to list it because I don't want a couple years down the line for you to come back and be like, oh, why did I listen to you? I never should have sold it. And to resent me because this has been something that it was your dream to own a Z. Yeah, it was. And, it, yeah, it still is. I mean, I love the Z, you know? Yeah, but I guess maybe you're in a different phase of life. I don't really know. I think so. And I was telling the guy that. He said, because um, people have always asked me, well, what are you going to replace it with? What kind of car are you going to get next? You know, like, like I'm thinking I'm replacing it for a new Z or Corvette or something. I'm thinking that if I were to get a new sports car today, an- another sports car today which you're not if i if i did it would have to be something like maybe a mustang because it has a back seat for the kids yeah that'd be it and you know know what's so funny is i actually had a dream last night that i bought my camaro back because i had a dream that i was missing my camaro and so maybe it's like nested in your like conversation around selling the z is you know i upgraded to an explorer which is a family vehicle and i got rid of my sports car and I miss that sometimes. Like I miss the fun of like putting the top down and rolling around. But I do love having all of the storage in my Explorer and it being a bit sturdier and all of that. So you're gonna you're gonna figure it out. I mean, cars are cars and they come and go and you've had That's great true. memories. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had the thing for five years because most people 
I mean, I mean, five years is probably like the length most people keep their cars usually, right? Right. And you how know? many miles have you put on it? Not very many, like twenty thousand total. That's crazy. It's See, all, you all... way underutilize it. I did. That's why I'm using it more for work now. I'm like taking it to work every day if I right. can. And I just bought new tires and everything else. So I spent all this money money on the thing. So I know that um, another thing too is when he um, he said that he wants to have his buddy come over like me tomorrow. And check out the car because his buddy knows more about cars than he does mm-hmm. and how to drive a stick and all this stuff. So I said, okay, fine, whatever. I'm off tomorrow. So if you want to do that, it's great. We'll do that. And he even said the price seemed fair. It seemed like a fair, reasonable price. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I mean, he could be telling you anything and blowing smoke up your booty. That, that is so true. And never come back and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because he doesn't want to seem like, like he's dumb or something like that who knows maybe he just goes around driving everybody else's cars he said he was very interested so whatever that means okay take it for a grain of salt so well i wish you all the best of luck in selling the z um once you get your million dollars for selling it what are you gonna do well, paying the house off for that, for sure. <laughs> well, that was the thing, too. It's like, I think about, like, if you need any cash, I'm like, oh, we got this extra car just sitting in the driveway. I do use it for work, but it's just sitting there. And it's like money in the bank, but on wheels. <laughs> it's just like sitting there. Well, it's money being thrown away because you have another vehicle sitting there and we don't really need. Honestly, we could function on one if we really had to, one vehicle, because I only work in the office on Mondays now. So technically, if we needed to share one vehicle, we could. But, you know, having just two cars is way more than like 90% of the world has. You know, so many people just have one car or they take public transportation. And then to have three Plus this mega huge house that we live in now. You're like living large, dude. I know. I know. You know, uh, what's going to happen though is I'm going to clean out the garage, make it all nice and pretty, park the car in there. It's like, oh, well, I guess I'll just keep it here from now on. No. It's just going to stay here. And the thing is too is like, like I told nope, the guy. my explorer is going to go in the garage. you will. Your explorer will be the garage vehicle. Is that I'm thinking like, man, you know, like, like I told him, like, I love this car. I hate to sell it. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm like almost on the fence of keeping it but you know i'm like well if you if he if he gives me like if he tries to haggle me or if somebody tries to haggle me on the price i'm gonna say now just keep it because i i have a price set in my mind what i want to sell it for if i can't hit that i'm just be like yeah i know you started with like way too expensive and i'm like you need to drop that down a thousand dollars we're looking at kelly blue book price and then you're listing it like six thousand dollars over kelly blue book dumbest thing i've ever heard well you gotta think about it. it's not a regular car it's not like a honda civic or a accord or but something like that it's kelly not a- blue book takes all of that into account i don't think they i don't think they they uh, take it to account all right um uh, rare sports cars all right rare sports cars whatever <laughs> trying to put it on the same plane as like a mclaren or something like that it's almost almost uh-huh, as good as, sure. as, it's almost as good as yeah. i know well has anybody anything else been happening this week for you that's been interesting well it's funny i did have an episode of podtastic audio i just put out um yesterday oh and awesome I, and i mentioned all about uh, qr codes and i was talking about that i was like you know, I'm surprised I haven't mentioned QR codes before. And what is a QR code? Everybody knows what a QR code is these days, right? Right. So um, I was thinking, like, if you ever get business cards made, I want to put those on the business cards mm-hmm. or on a window sticker or something to help promote the podcast. Did you know that when you create a QR code, you can insert an image, like a photo in the center of it and then build your QR code around it? So we could have, like, a picture of the two of us or, like, our bitmojis in the middle. I've already done that, what? babe. I know. What's up ahead of you, babe? I already got that done and saved. That's amazing. So I have a couple apps that do that. But what's funny about the QR codes, and I was talking about this on the podcast, about putting them on the business cards, 
the guy handed me his business card and on the back of it had a QR code. Wow. <laughs> I was like, speak of the devil. There you go. Check that out. Well, so you were recording podcastic audio and I was working yesterday. What was happening with the kids? They do kid stuff, you know. Oh my goodness. They were playing these kids. So I don't know how they found old replays of the uh, MTV show Jackass. I don't know if it's on TV anymore, but these kids are trying to like replay. No, they had that movie recently that came out in the theater. Remember? Was it? It was like last year. Okay, but they are trying to replay, make their own Jackass with their phone. Oh, watch your language. Yes, that's what they're doing. They're doing their own donkey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they're trying to act like in the show. I see you guys are. Nuts. And when I caught them today, I can't believe I caught them today. They took the other office chair, the one that you don't sit in, the one next to Mason's room. Uh huh. And they tried to ride it down the stairs. Oh my word. Where were you? Downstairs. I heard thump, thump, thump. I was like, oh, what is my that? Word. You and know, I get that thing back up there. Well, we can't carry it too heavy. Kids are crazy. And, you know, it's challenging figuring out how to parent them and figure out, you know, are you doing the right thing by them? Are you making the right rules? And sometimes I just feel like I'm completely lost when it comes to them. And then they do stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to lose it. Don't you ever feel like that? We all feel like that. You know what? This week, we have a very fantastic VIP guest who is a specialist in children and dealing with kids. I mean, who like dealing with kids? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're just uh, fun, ba- fun bags of joy. <laughs> He's going to be back with us right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another exciting VIP guest with us. He is an author, a coach, and the founder of the Family Enrichment Academy. Welcome to the show, Jim White. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks for showing up today. We really appreciate this, man. We appreciate you flying in on our private jet to the studio here in sunny San Diego. Uh, but in all sin- sincerity, where are you joining us from today, Jim? Yeah, I am in the middle of the country in Indianapolis, Indiana. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what Indianapolis, is, huh? What is Indianapolis famous for? Oh, the Indy 500? That's all I know of. <laughs> there you go. The Indy 500. And then we have our Indianapolis Colts and all those years with Peyton Manning. Uh, don't oh. forget Philip Rivers from San Diego Absolutely, went over there. Absolutely, yep. Oh, <laughs> there's... There's a little San Diego to Indy connection. There you go. (laughs) Yep. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. Are you a native Indianapolis in? How do you call it? An Indianan? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, there's Indiana University. It's known that they use the... The mascot, the Hoosiers. I don't oh, know if you've ever heard yeah. that. Yeah, for that movie so with uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah, and that's, right, that's exactly right. There was that basketball movie with Gene Hackman, and so a lot of times people from Indiana refer to themselves as Hoosiers. So that I guess that's what I would say. And yes, I am originally from. I grew up here in Indianapolis, actually. Oh, nice. Now, is Indianapolis um, a pretty urban type of setting? Is it because it's like Midwesty? So. You think like farms and stuff, right? I think so. Yeah. Well, if you get out in the country, certainly. Um, Indianapolis proper is um, probably a million five people. And then there's a a surrounding, they call it like the Donut Counties. There's, And I am actually in one of the suburbs. Technically, my mailing address is Carmel, Indiana. 
which is a suburb. I'm about 15 miles north of downtown. Um, in in between the suburbs and downtown Indy, it's like a million five total. Um, and it's obviously the largest city in Indian, Indiana. Oh, nice. That's about the same size as San Diego. I was looking at yeah. the city limits uh, just the other day, and it was like 1.3 million as of the last census, I saw that on the city limit sign. So I guess similar size, maybe a slightly different different topography, but and yeah. climate. Don't forget, they get something <laughs> called snow. What is that yeah. stuff? And the white stuff you guys have over there. Yeah, and we don't have an ocean. Very and, true. Um, but don't you guys have the um, the? Is there, isn't Indianapolis located right by one of the big lakes? Well, we're um, Lake Michigan is north of us around Chicago, which that's a three-hour drive from here. Oh, okay, okay. So that's a little little bit of a jaunt to get there. Oh, okay. Well, Jim, where do you have a family that lives with you? I've heard somewhere that you are a father of, was it six children? Yeah, we have six children, and actually most of them are grown. Our youngest is now in college, um, and then the other five are actually grown and out on their own in be quite honest, I got a little bit of a San Diego connection. I've spent a fair amount of time out there the last four or five years. I have two of my daughters are military. Wow. And one of them uh, is a Navy nurse that was working there, right? It was at Balboa Park, I believe is Mm -hmm. where the Navy hospital is. Mm -hmm. And then another one's actually a Marine. And she was stationed at the Marine base there just north of San Diego. So like I said, I've been out there a few times. Yeah, Camp Pendleton. Yeah. Right. Very familiar with it. Every time we drive up the I-5, we you drive right through the center of Camp Pendleton on either side. It's pretty interesting. I've seen some unique military operations over there where you'll see people in the hills that are training or out on the coastal side. Uh, and the boys are our boys are always interested when they see the ospreys that are flying because they have the rotating props that can go down and up. It's pretty amazing to be able to live in a place like this. So yeah, glad absolutely. you get to visit us. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and they both have moved away now, so we won't be back out there for a while. But they're, the last, like, say, four or five years, we made several trips. That's wonderful. Nice. Well, thanks for coming out and uh, supporting the California economy. We appreciate you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, with all of that expertise, with having six children, uh, we have heard that you are the founder of the Family Enrichment Academy. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. And if you don't mind, I'll take a few minutes and sort of give you a little bit of the path of how I got to the Family Enrichment Academy. Absolutely. We'd uh, love that. So I have spent the last 40 years, it's hard to believe it's been that long, really as a, a student of personal development, marriage, and parenting. And But more importantly, I've also spent those 40 years um, applying the lessons learned as a husband and a father to the six children that you mentioned. Um, and I like to think of it, I, and, and part of my messaging is I talk about the hero's two journeys. And I, I sort of envision myself as a classic example of that hero's two journeys. Um, I don't know, is that something either one of you have familiar with no, it's, it's no i'm not no See? no i think yeah. like the only journey that i'm familiar with is like um, I don't know, like Iron Man or, you know, like the oh. Marvel. So, oh, of course. So yeah. I only see them as one journey yeah. and it's defeat the villain. Well, I always think of like yeah. the biblical things, like the biblical journeys yeah. or like Beowulf. Well, well, I don't know what Beowulf come is. Come on. But- everybody knows Beowulf. <laughs> come on now. All right. Well, yeah. Jim, school us. Yeah, so the um, it's it's actually a storytelling technique, and it's used a lot in movies and books. And the premise is the main character 
they always have a task that they're trying to accomplish or there's a goal they're trying to accomplish. And that's the first journey. And it's it's the outside journey and it's known as the journey of accomplishment. And as the main character is pursuing that goal, what's happening is they're also going through a second journey, which is an internal transformation. You know, as they strive to achieve that outside goal. They're they're discovering new principles, values, beliefs. They're just becoming a better person. And actually it's that, and that's the journey of transformation. And it's that second journey that really makes the stories compelling when you think about it. And how I connect that to me and my journey as a parent is, you know, as you can imagine with six kids, we had a lot of stuff to do, think task to accomplish. You know, Mm -hmm. we were, you know, places to be, meals to cook, homework to help with. There was just a ton for us to do, which is all of those outside tasks. And as with any of those journeys, you know, we had our share of obstacles as well. Everything from, you know, a lost homework assignment to one of our children struggling with a learning disability. Um, Everything from a scratched knee to one of our kids having a little issue with drugs and alcohol. So, you know, you you work through and and try to work those those obstacles as well. And as you can imagine, being married for 40 years, I mean, they weren't all bright, sunny days. We had our share of cloudy days through our marriage as well. And What's happened is, you know, as over the time and sort of my interest in personal development, marriage and parenting, what was happening is I was doing all that stuff that a father of six children does. I was also experiencing an internal transformation as well. It was, you know, discovering the principles, values and beliefs that just made our family work better. And I actually started writing like 20 years ago. I started doing a lot of writing as a way to process and just think through some of the lessons I was learning as I was studying these topics. Um, And we actually, we put together, and I don't know if um, other other families may have done this. I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but we have like a, a mission statement for our family. We were working on one, putting one together. Yeah. Remember that Christine? We were <laughs> yeah. talking about it, like the rules of the yeah. house. We were. And then, um, I don't know, our boys just got a little bit wild and we just didn't quite finish it. Didn't quite finish it. Well, and that's something I work a lot with families on. And the premise is to create an ideal. You know, what is it that you're shooting for? And, you know, with ours, we talk about being respectful and supporting each other and empowering each other. And we talk about, you know, enjoying the good times, but also overcoming any obstacles that come our way. And kind of the, the final point is that our home is full of peace, joy, warmth, and love. And the premise is that's the ideal. And now we don't always look like that, but with um, what we've sort of grown to is we look like that more often than not. And and even more importantly is if we do have something happen that sort of knocks us off our game, if you will, or we, we drift away from that ideal, I have a really good sense and a feel for how to bring us back to that. And so what's happened is, and I mentioned my, my our youngest child is now off in college. And so... Over the last three or four years, I've just have felt this real strong calling, if you will, to share some of the wisdom that I've gained over the last 40 years. And that's sort of the, that's where I started the Family Enrichment Academy is to be a vehicle to share some of that hard-earned wisdom. And then, as you mentioned, I have put together a book. I've really, my coaching right now is primarily focused around parents that have teenagers or preteens, if you will. Oh, perfect. And, and, you know, trying to help them. And that's what the book is, is focused on that topic. But um, 
So anyway, you'd ask about the family enrichment. That's how I got here. Is it, it's it's a passion project, and it's just something I've been called. I just feel called to do is to be able to share, you know, what we've what I've learned, and hopefully be able to move families along their journey. And I mentioned I like to encourage our parents to think about it as a journey, and and they're really on two journeys themselves. They have a lot of stuff to do as a parent, but there's also this huge opportunity for them to grow and develop as a person and to have personal personal growth through their role as a parent. And um, that's why I like to reference back to that Heroes 2 journeys with our parents as well. Yeah, parents are really our heroes, in my opinion. I believe we're all <laughs> Absolutely. heroes here. Yeah. And, and then another another piece of it, I like to encourage the parents that, you know, they are the hero for their family and that they're taking a stand for the family and for the, the way we work with them, the idea of taking a stand for love within the family. And that that's part of the role of the hero. Absolutely. I agree with that so much. And, you know, you have so much wisdom from parenting six children and especially now that they're adults and navigating through all of their obstacles and accelerators that you've helped them through. Uh, Chris and I would love to take some time to just ask you some questions uh, about parenting teenagers and tweenagers, as we because refer to them. Because we do have both. We, we have, have a, a yes. teenager and a tweenager. Well, we have two tweenagers. We have a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old. Well, a 10-year-old, does that count? Is yeah, that, is tween- well, yes, the developmentally, they're getting up there. But we have a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 17-and-a-half-year-old. And so one of the things that was really intriguing to me as you were talking is really thinking about the amount of growth that a child experiences um, around forming their identity and their voice between like 12 and 20. And how do we as parents help guide without stifling their voice? And I know I will be the first to admit, my son listens to every episode. I'll be the first to admit that I have a hard time not being so Controlling is a really heavy word, but I'll just call it what it is. I'm, you know, I claim my demons being a bit controlling. <laughs> on the flip side, well, not on the flip side, on the same side, you, Chris, as what? my you, husband, what? I what? love what? you deeply. He is a helicopter dad to the 10 uh, 12 year olds, like yeah. to the extreme. So we would love to pick your brain about how we can more successfully parent our teenager and tweenagers to be independent and successful humans that we really love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's um it is a journey. And and I would I would say for your teenager keep in mind or your tween as well, it's a journey for them and every day they're growing and learning and you're going to be facing new circumstances with each of them. And so you it's you have to think of it as a process, not like it's something you do one thing and then it, it's done, if you will. Um but the biggest, you know, where I would start with you is the idea And you mentioned control, and actually a lot of the conversations I have with parents is around that topic of shifting from wanting to control what the child does to more of an empowerment mindset. So that's a distinction I like to use with the parents I work with. It's it's, as they grow into their teen years, you have to let go of that urge to control and put on the hat of more of an empowerment coach, if you will. And so that's the first step in the process. And you have to be very intentional about it because our natural 
instinct is to still want to control because that's what you've done for them the first 10, 11, 12 years of their life, right? Right. You, you've controlled and you were in charge of the schedule. Actually, one of the things I, uh, and I've done a blog post on this, I talk about that you need to resign as the manager of your <laughs> son or daughter's life, right? Yeah, You need good to back point. out of that role. And, and actually, part of what I share with parents is when you step back and look, a lot of that need to control is fear-based. Mm-hmm. You're fearful that they won't do the right thing. You're fearful that they won't be responsible enough to make a good decision or, right. or, or complete um, the project if it's homework on time. Uh-huh. Or you know, it's, it's very fear-based. And what comes up for the parent is they worry about things, or if, if the child does something and makes a mistake, you know, the parent will become frustrated or angry about that. But again, that's all f- a fear-based mindset. And one of the um, major areas I work with parents is the idea of being able to shift into more of a love-based mindset and being aware of where you are at any given moment. Because what can happen you're in a good space, you're feeling, you know, you're, you're love-based at this moment, if you will. And then that teenager or the son or daughter walks in, they hand you the report card, for example, and there's some bad grades on it. You know, in that moment, it's easy for the parent to just shift back into wanting to control and fix everything, which is more of a fearful mindset. And part of the growth for the parent is being able to recognize when that's happening and in the moment create a pause and then try to shift and and sort of detour themselves from being fearful into more of a love-based and it's it's more of how can i empower my child or how can i you know have some compassion about what they're going through and connect we use this as an opportunity to build connection and then shift to empowerment so it, it all starts, though, with that idea of letting go a little bit of control, which you mentioned, and, and shifting but where you go from there is to more of an empowerment mindset. And the, the other interesting piece of this, though, is you can't really be in a position to empower the teenager until you've built a really strong connection. And that's another thing that happens, and you may have noticed this with your kids, is as they grow into those teen years, parents start to feel like they're becoming disconnected, or there's a little gap between them and the teenager. Um, A lot of times the teen won't talk to them as much, um, or they feel like they don't know what's going on in the teenager's life. And so the other piece of this is being very intentional about building and maintaining that connection with your teenager as well. Because then you're in a position to influence or empower them. Um, but you got to have that that connection as a prerequisite to that. I think that is really hitting home with me because I think of what our kid, who our kids are drawn to right now. And when you said influence and connect with them, they're drawn to influencers. So people that they see are interesting or have something to or add value think, to their they think life. It's cool. Right. Something that that's, they think that's is always cool. been a, that's always been a thing forever though. Yeah, but I think that it's challenging as a parent, just from my perspective, because the way I was raised is like you need to be a parent, not their best friend. And so for me, I have a difficult time like drawing that line between, okay, I'm here I'm here to be your mom, not your friend. And it's like, I still want to enjoy all of those things. But now my son is 17 and a half and he wants to exercise his voice and his independence. And I have a hard time letting go. And it really does come from fear. Um, But my the fear of 
failure, not him failing, but me failing by protecting him from something that might change his life in a dramatic way. And I'll give an example, not of him specifically, but working in education as an administrator for so many years, I'll see the opposite where parents give their student or their children so much freedom. And then I end up seeing a kid make a decision, you know, bring something to school that they shouldn't have and it ends up in an expulsion or they fall into drugs and alcohol. And in my mind, it's there's only two extremes. And I think what I am challenged with is finding that middle ground, that delicate balance. And I guess my fear in all vulnerability is that letting go of any little bit of control, it's it's an all or nothing. Like I only see it in black or white with parenting. It's like, how do I figure out how to navigate that messy middle? Because ultimately it really comes down to, I want to protect my son from him falling into anything that might change the course of his life in a, in a negative way. And so have you dealt with that in parenting your kids without getting too deeply personal? And and how did you manage that? Yeah. It, and we all are at risk of that. And you're absolutely right. There's all, And that's one of the issues with teenagers is the stakes are higher, right? I mean, they, they, they can get into more trouble if they're out driving a car and they have a crash. I mean, they can do not only you know, hurt or harm themselves, but they can hurt and harm other people. Or as you said, you know, they can do something to get some expelled from school. So here's where I would back up. And that's part of my message is if the sooner you can switch to more of an empowerment mode, what I mean by that is when they're 10, 11, 12 in those preteen years, what you do is you start turning over responsibility but you can, it's not for everything, but you, you start training them, if you will. And you start to introduce the idea that if, if they aren't responsible, there's a consequence that they have to deal with. And again, the parent's role is not to protect the child from the consequence or to help, you know, to solve it, but you're there to support and empower them so that they can work their way through the consequence. Let me just give you an example. So let's say you got a 12, 13 year old child and you've sort of, and, and this is, I'll just back up a little bit. There's, I like to encourage parents to have conversations with their kids about, I'm going to turn over responsibility, for example, for your grades to you. You know, so your child's 13 years old, you sit them down, you say, you know what, you're getting older, they're your grades. I think you can handle it. So what's, you're going to have to start taking responsibility for your schoolwork. You know, I'm here to support and help you, but it's not going to be up to me to check on everything. It's, you, you sort of, turn that over to them intentionally and you have them acknowledge and you might even say, do you feel like you're ready for this? And most teens will say, yeah, I think I'm ready, but they may, maybe they don't. And so then you, you can delay a little bit, but if they say, yeah, I think I'm ready. So now you got a 13 year old who says they're ready. They're in seventh or eighth grade. They, um, you know, don't study for a test. Let's say they get a bad grade on the test. And so they come home and they're upset. They're upset with themselves, really, because they've sort of let themselves down. And so then the question is, well, what are you going to do next? And so that's the role we take on as the parent is to empower them. And you say to them, you know, what are you going to do next? We don't tell them what to do. We invite them to come up with a solution. Um, And if it involves talking to the teacher Okay, when are you going to talk to the teacher? What are you going to say to them? Again, the parent doesn't call the teacher. It's up to the the student in this case to to work their way through that. And what happens is 
the teenager starts to develop resourcefulness as they go through that mm. and they solve that problem, right? And they also start to have some confidence in their ability to deal with things. And so you start to introduce that kind of responsibility to them along their path, if you will. And then along with that, you start to introduce some um, guiding values and principles. Um, the idea of integrity, for example, you can introduce to them with it through some of these scenarios or uh, the idea of having compassion or um, you know, doing the best they can. You can start to have those kind of conversations. The point is you're sort of building their character at the same time. So then when they get to be 17 and they're in high school, they're going to be in a better place to make a responsible decision, whether it's driving the car or, you know, taking that drink that somebody hands them on a Saturday night at a party or not. You know, they're just in a better place because they've been practicing being responsible. And the other piece of it is they start to recognize that if they make a bad choice, there's consequences. Right. Right. And they've right, been yeah. through that before. They understand and they understand that that consequence is theirs, not yours as the parents. Definitely. And I think that's something that a lot of times parents will do. They'll almost protect their children from the consequences. And in, in the thought is to help them through it. But it's okay for them to have a little pain as they as they grow oh, and course, go through yeah, these definitely. scenarios. And because that makes them more self-aware of consequences, and then they make a more responsible choice down the road when they're faced with something bigger right. at the same time. You know, you've so, been really kind of preaching to the choir here, and I think this is super timely. So when you're talking about the homework situation, because I'll give a specific scenario, we always like to bring in scenarios from our own life because I think it's super relatable. So this morning, uh, Chris, you and I were having a discussion on the phone about... so. Chris has two children from a previous marriage. I have one from a previous marriage. We've blended our family over the last couple of years. And uh, Chris, you got a phone call this morning that was putting a lot of pressure on you from uh, the co-parent about you need to be making sure the kids do their homework. You need to be doing it with them. And our approach has been, we ask our children, do you have homework? And they're responsible for telling us yes or no. And if they have homework... Then the follow-up question is, do you need help from it or can you do it on your own? And But a lot of times they'll sometimes lie about their homework if they have homework or they'll forget about it because they're kids. They'll shove it in their backpack. They'll forget all about it. And we ask them, like, I don't know. I don't think so. Right. But last night it was, no, I don't have any homework, but there were some signatures that you needed. And then you got a call from the co-parent getting very angry that you needed to do the homework. And I think what you're saying, Jim is super timely because what it is, it's the 12-year-old right now where the past experience or the experience in the other household is definitely, I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to watch you do it. I don't trust that you're going to do it on your own. And what that starts to build in a child is this like conceal, hide. I don't want you hovering over me. I'm going to pretend like there's nothing. And then surprise, they have a failing grade and they blame everybody except for themselves and don't take responsibility for the outcomes. And what Chris and I really want to do is build that intrinsic motivation to be successful and that desire to take pride and ownership over their work versus us being the nags over the top of them. And so I think that the things that you're saying, it really is hitting home with me because I'm thinking, goodness, that's something that we can sit down with the 12-year-old and literally say like, hey, let's talk about taking responsibility for your work. Now that you're in seventh grade, we're past sixth grade and you're starting to shift classes. Can you keep on top of this? Do you have the ability to 
have a system and a schedule that you can keep with our support or how do you want us to be involved in supporting you? Because I think this is such a pivotal year to start building that autonomy within boundaries to be able to know, like, can he manage all of this on his own? And can he take responsibility for his grades? Uh, Because one of the things that's frustrating to me as a parent is when that report card comes home and it's, well, the teacher doesn't like me or, you know, I did everything and it just wasn't good enough for them. And it's like, if we can actually build that pattern of responsibility for a child to be able to go back, reflect on their performance, know what they didn't do well and what they want to improve on. That's a life skill that transfers way beyond schoolwork that they're going to be able to carry into lots of different arenas of life. And I think that that's something we're like we're currently faced with as of this morning. So what you're saying really hits home with what we're navigating. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll throw a couple of things in here. One, I would I like to encourage parents, you know, you sit with the son or daughter and ask them what their goal is. I mean, if they have, you know, is their goal straight A's? Is they was want it or math, you know, math is hard and they want to be in math. I mean, have them think it through a little bit and ask them. It's not your goal. That's the, the big thing for the parent. You know, as a parent, we start to want to overlay our goals for them. Start encouraging them to think about what is their goal. Um, what would and then you could even ask them what would be a stretch. I mean, if if let's say math is hard and they say, you know, I think I can get a B, and you could say, well, what would be a stretch goal? You think you might be able to get an A? And so you have them start to develop their own goals, and then the question is, okay, well, if that's the goal. What do you think you need to do in order to get there? So again, you're teaching them how to set a goal and how to make a plan and to move from point A to point B. And then here's another big one. And we had the same things where they come home and they say, well, the teacher's no good or the teacher right. doesn't like me or you know, they, I did what they said and they still gave me the bad grade. When we've had those moments, I, we would say to them, you know what? That's going to happen in life you're going to have a bad teacher. And so part of what you have to do is what can you do to work around that obstacle? And you start to have those. So it's not that the teacher's bad. It's more of, okay, how can I get around that obstacle? Or that I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, what did you miss? Or, you know, so you, again, try to shift that responsibility back to them and to help have them come up with strategies and plans for moving around. And then actually the other thing, Essentially, you mentioned that, you know, a teacher that doesn't like them. We've had scenarios where they come home and say that there's a bad teacher. And that's, and I mentioned about also introducing some character traits into this, some values and beliefs. And when we had that happen, we would say to our kids, you know, teachers don't get into teaching because they just don't know what else to do. They're right. typically passionate about it and they have, you know, they they want to serve and help kids. And if you have a teacher that's struggling and maybe they don't seem they seem uninspired, let's have a little compassion for that person. Maybe they're going through something at home that, that we're not aware of that's sort of you know, taking away that inspiration that they used to have, or, you know, maybe they're having health. You know, we don't know what's going on for that person. So think in terms of, you know, but people are the, the value or the belief that we like to share is that people are fundamentally good. 
And if they're struggling, then maybe we should have some compassion for them at that moment. And can you see how that shifts the mindset then of that of the child if they do start to think more from a compassionate standpoint, um, which is more love-based when you think about it. that's sort of introducing those love-based principles and values that... Um, you can introduce to the child. And it's important, and I will say this at this point, it's really important that the parent model those love-based values and beliefs as well. Because really a lot of, 80% of what that kid picks up or your son or daughter picks up is through the modeling or the example that the parent is setting. So that's another piece where you can take these kind of scenarios and work in some of that character development as well. Definitely. I really appreciate that perspective. So what are some of the uh, common uh, things you hear from parents on the regular? Is it all about school or is it other things too? No, it, I hear it, there's, a, you know, the whole spectrum, if you will, you know, issues with friends, um, you know, your son comes home with a girlfriend and mom and dad don't appreciate the girlfriend. <laughs> you know, that's a common one. It probably well. gets a little older. I would think more teenager years, nah, 10 year old, yep. not so much. <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, you know, concerns with just, you know, drug, you know, the older teenagers, you know, drugs and alcohol and the influence there. There's concerns with social media, you know, just, you know, so you can imagine and, and like anger management, you know, sometimes as teen, teenagers move through those years, there's periods where it just feels like there's some anger that starts to come up with them. Um, so, that, you know, it's all those different issues and it. And I would point to a lot of that, especially like the anger for example, is um, it's a signal and a sign that the teenager is feeling disconnected, feeling a little isolated, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed, and it just has to come out somehow. You know, they, they, that, that energy, yeah. there's a negative energy there that just has to get out. Kind of like, like a baby crying kind of thing? Exactly. It's a little bit that way. And it's interesting. A lot, and keep in mind, the teenager is growing and developing they won't always be able to verbalize what's going on. You know, they just know that there's this energy and they're angry, um, but they may not be able to identify exactly what it is. And actually part of um, one of the things I like to coach parents on in those scenarios is your first priority in that scenario is to build connection and provide a safe place for all that negative energy to dissipate. You know, it needs to get out and to dissipate. And I always like to um, remind parents that if there's a lot of negative emotion, that that's not the time to coach or try to influence because you, you just can't do it when there's all that negative emotion there. If, if, for example, there's a disagreement between the parent and the child and there's a lot of negative energy, that's not the time to try to fix and solve the problem because you just you got to get through the energy first. And you do that by building connection and allowing that negative energy, again, a safe place for it to dissipate. Um, but then also the parent may have some negative energy, too. That can happen for us as well. Right. And so we have to make sure we manage our emotion um, and that's a, and you're probably familiar with the idea of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of what that's about is how do we then get ourselves back into a calm, and I call it a love-based state. Once you're there, then you can start talking about solutions. But until you're there, it's up to the parent to be the guide there and say, okay, wait a minute, we just need to let this dissipate and, and provide that safe environment for the teenager to let that happen. Um, Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I have been struggling with, so um, our oldest, my son is, 
he's just started his senior year yesterday. So it's like I saw the beginning first day of school photo and I was like, oh, my gosh, he is a man like he is not a child. He's a man and he's he's still your little baby. though, Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, still there's this big part of me that wants to be the person that he still confides in and runs to. I mean, I I so fondly remember those moments when he would seek me out if he was hurt, if he needed anything, um, and he would want to show me everything. Like, you know, when they're little, the kids want to show you the rocks that they pick up. Everything is special, and they want to show you everything, and it's this magical time to be part of their world. And as kids grow up, I know that there can be a tendency for children to, you know, confide in their friends or confide in their siblings and I'm thankful that my son and I have a really good relationship to where he calls and wants to like tell me all of the the good and the bad things. And I appreciate that. But, um, you know, I don't yet I haven't yet established that with my bonus boys, my younger two. And so as they're, they do when they come over, he'll tell right, you stuff. But, you know, like, you know, I just want to have that closer relationship with them where they they confide in me. And so I guess my question for you, Jim, and your experience with being an expert in this area, as we're looking at having two more teenagers, soon to be teenagers, how do we keep our kids talking to us? Um, because we want them to come to us and to know that we're not, well, I'm speaking for myself. I want them to come to me and know that I'm not going to react in anger if something happened that maybe I would be disappointed in. Um, so how how can I build that relationship to get them to open up and keep talking to me through their teenage years so that they don't feel like they have nowhere to go? Yep. And that's a, uh, that's a great question. And first of all, I just would acknowledge you with your older son, if you've been able to keep that connection sound to where they, he still does reach out to you, that's a, uh, a compliment for you and you know the way you've parented over the last five or six years. Um, and I would share with parents that it is absolutely possible for them to maintain a connection to where their teenager still it, you know, still wants to share stuff with them. And not only, and I would just say the teenager, not only will they do it, they want to do it. You know, they, and I will tell you, I have older kids, you know, 35 years old, and they still want to share stuff with me. So that doesn't go away as long as you build that, that connection. So I'm just, I say that to help give a little hope to parents out there that not only can you do it, but they want to as well. Um, so in, in the, the whole key back to the, your younger ones, it's all about building connection and, and being very intentional about how do you build connection. And actually in my book, I share nine different strategies for building connection. And the thing with teenagers is you have to be more, like say, intentional is the word I like to use about it. When they're young, you're with them all the time, and that connection is just sort of naturally is there. But as they grow into their teen years, they do start to feel a little bit more independent, which means you have to you do a little bit of reaching out, if you will, and, and create some of that connection. And so, you know, some of the strategies, I'll just throw out a, a few practical examples. Um, one of the ones I have in the book is the idea of being playful. And the question is, how can you be playful with your teen or preteen as they move through those years? And the answer is different with different kids because they have different interests and, in, in, um, you know, they just have different personalities. 
in our family, our, I mentioned our youngest daughter is now actually college age. My She loves to sing and loves show tunes. And my wife kind of loves show tunes too. And one of the ways they're very playful is they'll get at home sometime and they'll flip on Pandora and flip on the soundtrack from Hamilton or something like that. <laughs> and they just start singing together, right? They're not talking and really no words need to be exchanged. They're just being together, enjoying something that they both enjoy and being playful. When I say playful, they'll sometimes they'll act out stuff and you know they sort of make faces at each other. And so that's an example of how you can, you know, be a little playful with your child. If it's a teenage son and they like basketball, you know, going out and playing, you know, playing some one-on-one basketball is a way to do that. Right, I do um, that too sometimes when uh, I ask the kids lately, they don't play lately. They want to be on their phones more than anything else. But uh, there's some times when I play basketball with them on the front yard here. Yeah. yeah. And so there's, you know, that's just one example of how you can um, build connection. One of them, and, and this is interesting, I mentioned the idea of compassion, and one of the ones I throw out in, in my book is the idea of being compassionate. And where that's critical with your teenager, they come home with an issue. Let's say they've got an issue with a friend or whatever. And when they're young, they'll start to share that with you. As a parent, if you can just be with them, be present, which is actually one of the other ones I throw out to people, is be very present and be compassionate. And what I mean by that is just let them share that with you, kind of be there compassionately and resist the urge to fix the problem. You know, we always want to jump into fix it mode. And that's what creates the gap and, and can sort of push them away a little bit because they weren't asking for you to fix the problem. They just want you to listen to them and let them sort of t- say what they want to say. And as you do that with them, it actually strengthens that connection. So next time they have an issue, they're going to be more likely to come to you and share because they know that you are good at being present and being compassionate with them. Um, so that, the, you know, but you have to be intentional about that as a parent. And, you know, parents too, I, I mentioned being present it, you, and you mentioned the phone. It's easy for us to be distracted with work or phones or computers. And when your son or daughter is ready to talk, you got to be able to set all that stuff down and just be present and be with them. Right. Um, and, and recognize it's interesting, you know, they won't always be ready to talk, but when they are, that's where you have to be very intentional, recognize it and stop everything and be there with them. And if you start doing that more regularly and you recognize it, um, they'll they'll come to you more and it builds connection. They feel the idea of being heard. You know, everybody wants to feel like they're heard and acknowledged. And if your teen comes home and they're ready to talk and you're busy on the phone or doing something else and you don't stop and acknowledge, they don't feel like they're being heard. It creates a disconnect and they'll be less likely to come to you the next time. Whereas if you do stop, acknowledge, listen, compassionately, forgive, you know, that creates connection. Now, raising, raising teenagers, it's so complex and simple. It's like simplex. It's like simplexity. So it's like simple (laughs) and complex. And, one of the things that I'm navigating, um, so maybe this is different for you and your wife because you were married and I assume then had children, but Chris and I came into this relationship with children is our kids understanding that we're separate entities from just being parents. Like we're humans and we have a life and passions and interests and we're also a married couple. And I think that sometimes when kids are in the mix, our identity just becomes a parent. And so how did you and your wife 
and now that you're you have grown children, how did you navigate that by making sure that you were a solid couple and able to still keep that relationship fresh and also be a good parenting unit together? Because I think that's two slightly different dynamics. Well, and actually with even with your preteens and your teens, one of the one of my other strategies for building connection is the idea of being vulnerable. And I think it's okay to be vulnerable with your teenager and to share with them, you know, hey, our relationship is important to us. We want to make sure it's solid. Um, so, you know, we're going to do a date night every Friday night or whatever the strategy is. But, you know, let them know what your goal is for you. And you can also share with them that, you know, this is we're navigating new waters with mm. this blended family. And and tell the child, you know, sometimes I'm not going to know what's the right thing to do and I'm going to make a mistake. And but my goal is to learn from that and do better the next time. You know, you sort of and, and w really what you're doing with that, which is really powerful as well, is you're demonstrating to the child that you have a growth mindset and that you realize that there's always going to be opportunities to grow and learn. And again, that's just adopting that growth mindset, if your teen starts to take that on for themselves, that's going to serve them for the rest of their life, right? If they start to believe that, oh, there's always new things to learn and I can learn them, you know, that, that that's what creates hope and allows them to move forward. And part of that comes from the parent modeling that to them. And so whether it's your relationship as, you know, new husband and wife or the blended family, I think it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, this is where, and this is, we talked a little bit at the very beginning about a vision statement or some kind of a, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And then acknowledge that there's a gap. You know, you aren't always there. And, and part of our role is to try to see how we can bridge that gap and go from where we are to where we want to be. And that entails us growing and learning and trying new things. Yeah, so absolutely. And one of the things that you were bringing up when you were talking about being vulnerable, I think that goes back to parents and that fear mentality or operating from a place of fear, as you were mentioning earlier, is like I, in the back of my head, it's like, don't show any signs of weakness. They'll know your cracks and then they're going to exploit them. And I think like if I was to tell a child or tell one of our, our children, like what my needs are or, you know, where, how I'm feeling, I have this fear, even though I know my kids, our kids love me is like, how are they going to use it against me if I say, you know, our relationship is important, like, you know, we want to preserve it. And then, then, I don't know how I, in my mind, I make up these stories, like, it's going to be seen as a point of weakness, and you can't show that you're weak. It's like that. Is that they tell you when you go to a teacher's academy? They tell you, don't, <laughs> don't show weakness. Don't crack. Don't crack. The, the kids, it's like when you're going to kindergarten. I think it was like kindergarten cop is like, don't show any signs of weakness. They, they'll sniff it out from you. They can, like a dog, they can sense fear. And I think that I sometimes I worry about that with kids. Not that our, our, our children have ever shown that, like that they're going to use a perceived weakness or vulnerability against me. But I think there's this, I don't know, maybe a misnomer against so many parents is like, I have to have all of the answers. I have to be in charge. And maybe, is that just me, Jim? Or is that an all parents thing? Because if it's just me, like, tell me. 
No, no, it's it's very common. It's back to that control, and it is fear-based. I mean, we start to be fearful that, um, first of all, and part of it is feeling like maybe as a parent, I'm not doing, I'm not good enough. You know, we, we go through that, and we can have that swim through your life in a lot of different ways. Um, but it is fear-based when you start to have those thoughts. And part of the message to everybody is, I'll just throw this out, whenever you come from a fearful mindset, it's always going to be destructive and, and damage relationships or connection. And that is actually the source of all of your pain and suffering in your life. And if you can shift to a love-based mindset, love always heals and builds connection and it heals those relationships. And that's the source of joy and purpose. And, and I like to share with everyone that, you know, we have these two competing mindsets that reside within us at all times. And one moment we can be fearful, the next moment we can be love-based or vice versa. And part of our growth as a person is learning to be intentional in choosing how we want to operate. And I always encourage people, I mean, the solution is to be more love-based. And so if you're 50-50, let's say half the time you engage from a fearful mindset and half from a love-based mindset, the question is, okay, tomorrow, can I be 60-40? Can I be more love-centered or love-based? And the more we can shift down that continuum, the relationships get better, the connections get better, and we experience more peace, joy, and happiness within our life. Um, and that's part of the lesson we can share with our teenagers and teach them, because then fundamentally, if you ask any parent, you know, what do you really want for your child when they grow into their adulthood? You, you They want them to be have joy and happiness in their life. You know, that's what it all boils down to. Absolutely. And so part of it is how can we teach them at that and help them build the character you know, that allows them to have that as they grow into their adult years. Absolutely. Um, Now, did you outline some of this in your book? Because I do see that you published a book that I think would be really helpful for our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners can find it? Yeah, it's um, the book is How to Be the Parent Your Teenager Needs You to Be is the title of it. And it's available on Amazon. And really, it's the three fundamentals that I talk about in the book. And it really is the core of when I coach with people. The first one was what we were just talking about is the idea of how does the parent first manage themselves and have some personal growth about being intentional as a parent and being intentional about being more love-based. And it's about managing that mindset. The second fundamental, which builds on that, is how do you build connection with your teenager or your preteen? And that's where I mentioned I have those nine different strategies for building connection. And then the third fundamental is once you have that connection, goes back to empowerment. You know, how do I empower my teen? take on that role as opposed to trying to control what's going on. And so those are really the three fundamentals that I talk about within the book. And that's 90% of what I work with with parents is around those those three core fundamentals. And when you say work with parents, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Are you actually like having parents come and work with you in person or what do those services look like? Yeah, it's it's a coaching, like any coaching program. And to be quite honest, a lot of times they're not always local. So we will do it virtually through Zoom or whatever. Um, and, so, you know, and I'll have like a six um, package, six session package or a 12 second session package uh, that people can engage with. And we just work through whatever it is that's going on within their family. 
we kind of work through and actually it's a lot of it again is based around those core fundamentals and help them to get from where they are to where they want to be and again with the end goal of bringing some more peace joy warmth and love to their home in that relationship with the teenager so that's that's a coaching role um that i that i engage with folks with hey jim do you see a lot of parents come to you and one of their biggest issues would be the social media. I think social media, I think back in back in my day, I think it was like drugs or alcohol or kind of things we're really, really talking about a lot now. Now it seems to be more like with social media and followers and likes and unfollowed and things like that. What do you do to a parent? What do you tell a parent to do when they have a, child, a child that's really struggling with um, social media stuff? Yeah, and it, it that is a big topic. It's where, where I try to, you know, I coach people again towards an, more of an empowerment mindset. The premise is you can't control everything that's going to go on, especially as they grow into their teen years. And so part of what our role as a parent is to help that child develop so that they can make responsible choices. And so you hear the idea of maybe developing like a social media plan, for example. You know, this is how we deal with social media within our family. And my suggestion and what I encourage parents to do is to co-create that plan with the teen so that it becomes a family plan and not just something the parent tries to dictate to the child. And it's it's the same things with drugs and alcohol. How can you educate them on the issues? And it's not it's not like you just do it once and it's done because again, it's an ever-changing, evolving um, landscape of social media out there, for example. And and you look for opportunities to bring it up. Um, let's say um, your teen comes home and they tell you that one of their best friends has been is kind of upset because somebody was said something bad about them on social media. If you think about it, that creates an opportunity to have a discussion. And it's not like, just saying, you know, it, it's a chance to ask the team, well, how do you feel about that? What do you think is appropriate to say on social media? What, and, and you engage in a little conversation that has them look deeper into it with the end of the premise of what's responsible. And, you know, again, and you sort of set that out there, you know, within our goal of trying to learn to be responsible. So I, I like to encourage parents to do it. it it's the premises to empower the child to be more responsible and be a part of managing their life and, and, and have social media be something that is a good part of their life and not something that turns into a bad, you know, something that's destructive. Right. Just like drugs and alcohol can do right. the same thing, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be destructive, but it can certainly get to that point. And, you know, having open and honest conversations about that and helping and, and empowering them to take some ownership in their decisions and, and being responsible. Absolutely. And so building off of that, Jim, we know that you have your book and you have your coaching, but do you have a one-stop shop where our listeners can pop by and learn more about you and your services and how they might be able to tap into your expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, familyenrichmentacademy.com is the website. And actually, I have a, a little resource I like to give away to folks is a little enticement to connect with me. It's a 10 questions you should never ask your teenager. Um, think of these as like conversation killers. You know, we talk a lot about building connection. Well, the idea is these are questions that tend to... to um, 
patients. Then I also have 10 great questions. These are the ones that tend to open up and, and be conversation starters. Hey, Jim, you got and a sample? that's uh, available as a free resource at the, uh, at the website. Um, and then obviously they can see and connect with me if they're interested in coaching or see. And I have a, a, a blog there as well where I post content on a regular basis. Hey, Jim, you got a sample of one of those uh, not to ask questions for your teenager? Um, not to ask questions. What time did you go to bed last night? <laughs> well, that's what he asked the whole time. He asked that every night. <laughs> and, 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 and you see how the teen can feel that as like an attack yeah. on them? And it's it, the, the underlying context is you can't make a, a good choice about when to go to bed and you can't manage yourself and I'm attacking you. And that tends to shut them down. Well, does so, that does that also go with like telling them when to go to bed? Because we do. We tell the boys like it's time for you guys to get ready for bed. And then the 12 year old always says to us, no matter how late we tell him he can he needs to go to bed. What? It's barely fill in the blank. And right. he's like, I could stay up way later than that. And I'm like, but you have school in the morning. Then it becomes an argument. <sighs> right. And that's it's going to be an ongoing battle. And that's, again, where you start talking about, you know, what is the, the idea of introducing uh, concepts around health and wellness? And, and sleep is a big issue for teenagers. And I know parents sometimes struggle with that. And, and teenagers do become sleep deprived because they do stay up and their sleep cycles are different. But that's an opportunity to introduce the idea of, okay, I want you to be healthy into your, you know, when you become an adult. So let's start talking about health and wellness. Um, do you move around enough? Do you need to go outside and exercise a little bit? What are you eating? How are you sleeping? And so you approach it by teaching how to be responsible from a health and wellness standpoint, not, okay, you got to be, you know, it's not just tonight's fight, then it becomes more of a bigger conversation. Um, and it takes time. Your child, and I'll just share with you, you know, you may go six months and they just won't get it, won't respond, won't respond. But then one day that that trigger may flip a little bit and all of a sudden they start to take be more responsible with regards to their sleep. But you have to work, you know, and that's why I say it's a journey. I mean, you got to continue to work that way. And you have to be, what I encourage parents to do is through that six month period where it's a struggle, you got to try to stay love based. You got to try to try to stay compassionate and forgiving and just be there with them. And because the child is growing and they are learning and your role is to be there, um, you know, be that safe place, be love based and empower them to take responsibility for their health in this example. Absolutely. And so on that note, Jim, we want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. Listeners, we're going to leave all of that helpful information from Jim in the show notes from today. So definitely reach out to him, check out his book, uh, go and see what services he has that might benefit you in helping your teen to become a healthy, happy, independent, and resilient individual. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. If you love music and podcasting, now you can have both. Introducing the brand new K2 radio station, available 24-7 on the Live 365 app for free. Specializing in rock and alternative music, we're talking bands like Coldplay, Nirvana, Muse, Imagine Dragons, and yes, even the Rolling Stones. They have all stopped by to drop off songs, and we even have brand new popular tracks added every single day. Also on the free K2 radio station, we are including podcasting. Get the best of both worlds. Download the free Live 365 app or listen online at live365.com. 
and type in K2 Radio. Uh, you know, Jim was great coming on the show today. Tell, tell us all kinds of fantastic things about parenting and how to uh, work with kids. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that it was really insightful, especially the conversation about how to talk with the kids about like setting their goals so that they're taking more ownership over their grades and more responsibility. I feel like I could definitely improve in that area of supporting our kids in that way. Um, and Because I definitely don't want to feel like I'm nagging them and I want them to take responsibility for their work. And, you know, Ezekiel does a really good job of staying on top of his homework. He's really worked hard to get to where he is today. And I would really love our other two boys to be able to build that that drive to be able to do well at school and not feel like they're just doing well to be able to, you know, earn cash for grades or something like that. And it's so foreign to me. I was so motivated as a kid. I always was super motivated to get my schoolwork done. I always wanted to do it well. I took a lot of pride in it. And it's just so different for me to see kids that think in a different way. Like it just doesn't register for me. Really? I'm probably thinking more in the way kids think today. It was probably how I used to think back in the day where it was like, I got better things to do than schoolwork or whatever. Or uh, what I would do is I would procrastinate a lot. I still do. But, yeah, you still do. But I would procrastinate a lot. Like if I had an exam due on Friday, like I would do it Thursday night. Like the prep for it, the studying? Or whatever it was. Yeah, totally. That's like, crazy. Like I would – or whatever it was. I would I would maybe think about – the first day you get the exam, you kind of – you're fresh. You're like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Let's figure this out. And then by day two, three, four, five, six, or whatever it is, it's, oh, man. it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. I should, <laughs> I should work on that. I start doing that, you know. So uh, schoolwork for me was always hard. It, it took me a while to figure it out. And I never – not say I didn't want to do it. I mean, who doesn't want to do schoolwork? No one does. But I think it was for uh, me. I do. <laughs> okay, ex- exception here. Yeah. But, do you think that that's why it's harder for you to keep on track, keep on top of the kids and make them do their work is because you still don't see the point in them doing it? No, it's because I never did it myself. So and I, so you don't care if they do it now? I well, I think – no, I do care. I just uh, – I think that like I, I'm horrible at that stuff. Oh, and, wow. You know. I mean you study and you learn how to do podcasting and you learn how to do all kinds of stuff like this. I think that you have more – determination and grit than you give yourself credit for. And I think that we can model that for our kids. And, you know, it's just an interesting conversation today. It really made me reflect on parenting and what I'm doing to like help raise our boys to be, um, I don't know, like motivated, intellectual, resilient, great kids, great guys. You know, we're raising young men and gosh, this just feels so overwhelming sometimes to think like, we're raising this is this blows my mind when I think of this way. Oh yeah. This way is we're raising somebody's future father. Like, what? I mean, okay. Think okay. about that. Oh grandfather. No, but think about that. Like we're raising somebody's future not, dad. Not necessarily. I mean, if they want to have kids, yes. Not, well, it, it, just because you want to have kids, so you can have kids. Well, like, okay, don't get philosophical. But I'm saying like the point here is that we're raising future leaders and heads of households and you know heads of corporations whatever they are and goodness that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure on us as parents it can feel overwhelming sometimes don't you think uh yeah you blew my mind really because like, <laughs> like, I, I never thought about that i just think about like can they like 
take a shower and brush your teeth in the same But evening. no, we're raising somebody's future father. Okay, they were to floss the toilet. You know, like, let's work on the easy <laughs> stuff first. we're raising future husbands, and that's so crazy. Or future president. Can they remember to plug stuff. in their phone at night? Can they, can they remember to bring, the, bring their computer to school? That's so funny. Can they remember to pack their lunch? That's yeah. something I, I kind of I focus on. Like, if they can do that, I figure they can be um, the president of the United States. If they can handle that one task. Awesome. Well, this has been a really interesting episode. Chris, where can our listeners find out more about us and our show? Well, you always go to the website, the old master hub, I call it, at chrisandchristineshow.com. And we got everything on over there. Yes, we absolutely do. We have links to Podtastic Audio, Christine Smith Designs, and we also have a link to... K2 Radio. Did I say that already? Yes. yes. <laughs> K2 Radio, Podtastic Audio, and the Christy Chris, Smith Designs. It is late, everybody. You can tell that it's been a long week already, and it's only the first day. Oh, Monday. Yeah, how fun is that? Huh? Sunday. Well, <laughs> it's Sunday. We're just getting all mixed up here, but we love having you here with us every week, and we hope that you'll listen back to one of our past shows, find a little bit of fun. Don't forget, you can always go on over to Patreon, find some of our free content, and subscribe to get some of our behind-the-scenes content. You definitely don't want to miss out on it, and we'll be back with you next Next week. week.